Hi, everyone, and welcome to Content People, a podcast where we talk to creatives and leaders to uncover actionable advice for listeners. I'm the show's creator and host, Meredith Farley. I'm here alongside Ian Servin, creative director of video and special projects at Brafton and the producer of this show. Hey, Ian. Hey, Meredith. On today's episode, we talked with Ellen Gillis. Ellen is a leadership development coach and a real expert on how to build the skills and strengths you need to be an effective leader. It's kind of a funny story how I got to know Ellen. She was actually doing some coaching and leadership training for the senior team at my fiance's company. And since at the time my fiance and I were both working from home, I started to hear these meetings with this really thoughtful, powerful, wise woman kind of beaming out tips, tricks, tactics, and great advice around leadership. My ears would perk up and I'd eavesdrop and be like, oh, I really agree with that. Or that's a nice tip and I'm going to steal that. And so eventually I asked for an intro and got to know Ellen a little bit. She is so wise and kind. I love talking to her because she has a very grounded, clear energy and so much wisdom about coaching, work, and management to share. Absolutely. In the episode, we talked about her background in HR and learning development, how she started her consultancy, and then we got into the weeds about defining what it actually means to be a good leader and how to delegate, communicate, and ultimately just really be a coach to your team. We hope you like it. And if you haven't already, give my newsletter, also called Content People, a subscribe. A link will be in the show notes. Here's our combo with Alan. Hi, Ellen. Thank you so much for doing this episode of Content People. I'm really excited to talk to you a little bit about what you do. Excellent. Thank you for having me. Would you be comfortable introducing yourself to our listeners and explaining a little bit about about your work? Sure. Yes. My name is Ellen Gillis. And probably actually during the pandemic, I started my company um, called Gillis Group. Because what better time to start a business than during a crazy pandemic? Uh, but I, I do leadership training and development and management coaching. And so, you know, thinking about what management coaching is, I actually went to uh, the International Coaching Federation to kind of get their specific definition. And it's about partnering with clients in this thought-provoking and creative process that really inspires them to maximize personal and professional potential. And so for me, I translated that into it's about helping people think through decisions and challenges and, and what's getting in their way of moving forward. And that can involve 360 feedback and assessments, any type of tools to get there. So I created my company to really kind of focus on leader development and coaching at every different level. You know, I support people to kind of become those resilient leaders that today's world really demands. We know how fast it's changing through COVID, et cetera. So coaching and the work can take a lot of different forms too. I do coaching and leadership training. I've also done, you know, some onboarding practices with companies, helping them kind of figure out their practices. I've done uh, 360 degree feedback for executive levels to help them get feedback that they've never gotten. Um, I have a great leadership program I call LEAD that I can do at different levels too. So it's about customizing it to different clients as well. I'm so glad there are people like you out there doing that work. I really want to dig into what both the day-to-day and some of the thematic aspects of your work and experience. But first, could you talk a little bit about your pre-coaching background? Like, how did you get into it? Yeah, for sure. So my background is learning and development and human resources. You know, years ago, I got kind of a master's in, in training and development, and it just kind of went from there. 
and the worlds are very similar in terms of helping people. So I've worked for a couple of different big brands and over the years really realized that at the core of it, what I wanted to do was help people. And so coaching was really a natural extension of that for me. And the work that I was doing with employees and leaders, uh, <clears throat> what I've done is kind of, I went and got a coaching certification too, just to kind of get more additional tools. And that's been really rewarding. So I was able to kind of use coaching a lot throughout my career and then just kind of get a little bit more structure around it too. Um, and it's interesting, you know, that you say that you're glad that I'm out here doing this. It's an interestingly crowded field these days too. And so you really have to kind of find what you do best to kind of help people and connect with people as well. Um, I think my pre-background really lends itself to what I, the work that I do now as well, which is neat. Yeah, that actually, as we're talking, I'm kind of reminded, we had a conversation with, she's with my, a good friend of mine, Brianna. We haven't aired the episode yet, but she is essentially, uh, she supports the sales enablement and coaching team at Wayfair. Mm -hmm. And oh, cool. she... A little bit of a different background than you, but also she had a teaching background and was really interested in mm -hmm. different pedagogies. And I can totally see how that type of affinity lends itself to coaching yeah. in a commercial space as well. Too. Mm -hmm. So what type of clients are you working with? And I'm really curious to know, what, what are they generally coming to you with? What are the problems or challenges that they are looking for support around? Yeah. So I, you know, I'm lucky enough to work with leaders from manager to C-level in a variety of industries. And the the way I get my clients truly is through relationships that I've built over my career. Um, I'm not doing a ton of marketing or social media. It's a lot about diving into LinkedIn, seeing the people who know, love me and have worked with me before to kind of get to work with folks. And at the heart of so many of these uh, challenges is communication. It just keeps coming back to that as a core challenge. So whether it's how they interact with other people, how they manage conflict, how they uh, find their inner voice or their you know leader executive presence. That's a ton of the work that I do. And then there's also other engagements that center around people kind of finding the next step in your career. Some are at a crossroads to think about career moves or promotions or new experiences and they're trying to figure out what's next and how to tap into their next step in their journey. Um, but undoubtedly, it's 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 really that communication is at the core of so many things for folks, for sure. What proportion of your work right now is working with organizations that need some support from you on some of the things you mentioned, like um, coaching and developing their leadership team, 360 reviews or projects like that versus individuals who are in that kind of transition phase or looking to personally build up an element of their skill set? Yeah, that's a good question. I think more so I, I work with um, clients that are in corporations. And so it still might be a high potential employee. And that's the kind of content that we, we tend to work on with them. Um, I don't do as many uh, individuals. And sometimes, you know, corporate engagements are like a six month type of thing. Personal folks are more of like, you know, maybe four or five sessions kind of talking people through their resume, their next thing. Um, so it's a smaller subset of what I do. I'd say it's more corporate folks, uh, but still, it could you know could be that they want to talk to me about. Gosh, I'm really and it's and I'm a neutral party. How do they want to talk to me about their next steps and do I really want to be at this company, etc. So that stuff can come out as well. Yeah, I feel like a neutral, informed sounding board or advisor is so valuable because 
there are so many places we get and turn to for career advice or advisement in life. And, but so often, you know, you could go to a parent, you could go to a colleague, you could go to a former boss, but there's also a lot of, you know, different context and perspectives wrapped up in those relationships. And right. Um, think and anyway back to my earlier point i'm just glad that there are folks like you out there and one thing i'm really curious about is how sometimes i think i've conflated uh mentorship and coaching and i'm curious Mm -hmm. for how you would how they might be different yeah i think that's interesting and that's what i help to when i'm working with folks or kind of getting into an engagement trying to help them define what it means for them too because a lot of times People that are sponsors don't really understand the difference or what, how they can help their own people. So for me, I think they are different. I think mentors are more of like a guide or an advisor and they help you. They might help navigate companies, relationships, uh, decisions. So we tend to look to mentors to offer us advice and share their stories to inform our own journey. And so you see a lot of mentor programs and companies and it helps new hires to kind of learn and acclimate and, and figure out how they can learn from other leaders. Either it's a woman leader or someone in the space of finance, whatever it happens to be. A coach is much more about someone that's, to your point, that neutral party, asking questions to get at the heart of the matter, the goal, the challenge. And it's really not about advising without permission. Um, so I will, you know, I'll offer models or past experiences at times, but I'll usually ask the client, do you mind if I share something? Because we truly want to hear from that client first. If they come up with their own solution, they'll own that in such a much stronger way than trying to repeat my actions, right? And sometimes you've got clients that are like, just tell me the answer. Or just give me the, the, you know, the advice here. And so I really try to push them to think of things first. And we might brainstorm a little bit and share ideas. Coaching is so much about people finding their own way. I often have people say like, oh, you know, thank you so much for that coaching session. I'm like, it's all you. I just asked you some questions and you really came up with all of these great answers for yourself. So yeah, they definitely are different. Very, you know, they're similar in terms of hearing from someone else at times, but there's some differences there. Yeah. So coaching is more supporting their own self-discovery and mentorship yes. is more kind of, I've been there, I've done that. Here's what worked for me. Let me help you. Yeah, I, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I could totally see myself being like, I'd love the cheat code, Ellen. Thank you, please. Just yes, <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I just, I just want to know what to do next. How do I communicate? Give me the answer. And sometimes, you know, and sometimes I can do that in terms of like, oh, you know what? Here's a great model to give someone feedback. Or here, I need to hear more from you in terms of how you get to hear, understand what's blocking you to move forward to. Yeah. Uh, well, so with the folks that you're coaching, would you say that there are particular themes where they need to, well, actually, hold on, let me rephrase this because I think I'm curious about a couple things. So one, mm-hmm. with the folks you're coaching, are there things that you're like, okay, here are the four things everybody out there needs to keep working on and working to do better. And then I'm also curious, uh, second part, which we can come back to later, the idea of when you're working with folks, are you often like, oh man, leaders need to do better in this area because it's causing a lot of pressure on, on things kind of yeah. messed up. And I don't know, Ian, maybe. No, that's can. good. Yeah, because right. I'm thinking I'm thinking first about kind of the the lead program that I have in terms of leadership training. And it's, you know, very essential. It's a lot about the basics in terms of how do I give feedback? How do I communicate? How do I delegate? 
you know, how do I deal with conflict? Uh, how do I, you know, you be a manager as coach and kind of do use a certain level of skills to coach my people versus just telling them what to do. So there are some key things that, you know, at every level people need. I've done that program for managers and I've done it for SVP level, people who just never got those skills coming up through the ranks. So there's some really basic things that they need um, to continue to grow. And then when I think about, you know, themes with clients and what people need to do better, it's making me think too about this idea of coaching should really be kind of a gift or an investment to help people grow and develop towards new challenges. And sometimes it's a last resort, right? People might be really strong performers, and but they might leave dead bodies in their wake, right? Kind of plowing over people mm, as they go. Yeah. So they don't communicate. They don't recognize people. They, they might micromanage. They don't really kind of shore up their own resources. And then you think about their managers, their HR folks aren't giving them the feedback or they're ill-equipped, so they turn to coaching. Um, so I think what helps them in the coaching process is doing a nice, robust, like 360-degree feedback process. They hear from all... Uh, walks of life. And if they're open to hearing that feedback and accepting it, then they can move forward and, and kind of see how they can continue to grow. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely some basics that everyone needs, but it's also it goes back to that education of helping people understand what coaching is. And it's not kind of the solve a problem type of thing, but a lot of leaders turn to it for sure. That's really helpful. In some ways, is it well, I have a lot of questions about that. Uh, <laughs> one thing about it, uh, really specifically coming to me is, I think the idea about the 360 reviews, like being a, a resource that can help implement that, it sounds really helpful to any organization. I'm also wondering, are you sometimes coaching people about how to receive the results? Because oh yes, I know that can be really difficult, um, especially at different levels to... Uh, hear it and not to uh, deflect or explain away the other people's perspectives, essentially. Yes, that's, that's such a good point. Because usually, you know, I'll go through a, a robust report and give them a lot of time to kind of sit with it. And we'll come back to it again and think about it. Because even sometimes people have a hard time accepting the positive stuff. You know, I'll <laughs> joke with people and say like, this page, put this page on your fridge. This is great stuff. Don't forget about this. But to your point, then they kind of go into more of the critical things and they're looking at it saying, I think this was Meredith who said this. Oh, and they kind of go off right, the rails, right. right, with that stuff. So it is so much about kind of going through it and being open enough to say, okay, this, this has maybe some merit. Let me think about what I could do here. Because if you don't get them to accept it, they're not going to move on. They're not going to move forward to kind of being open to coaching as well. So it can be challenging. And I think I'm thinking back to one particular exercise I did with executive level folks who just had not had feedback in a long time. And some of those conversations were hard because they thought one thing and whether their peers or directs thought something else, uh, it's really about people taking a step back and being open to the possibility that there's some truth in this and how do I figure out what I can do with it for sure. Yeah. It's not easy. <laughs> yeah. it's. A, I always find it, I haven't done or a ton of 360s with the teams I've managed. But I do think the general one thing whenever you're soliciting feedback is going into it with an open mind and open heart, not discounting things yes. just because um, it's not your, you know, you, you think you understand why their perception might be one thing. 
Mm-hmm. But it's kind of a, uh, they can also be really tricky. I feel like I don't want to get too into the weeds on this, but I remember I had a really negative perception of 360s for a while. And it was because I had a, had a complex experience really early in my career. I think I was, I was in a, like a, maybe a director level role. And I think that was 24, 25. And one of the bits of feedback I got, which clearly has like been branded on my brain, it was, it, right. was someone put only to the effect of, she runs around the office like a chicken with her head cut off. It's a wonder she doesn't break her neck in those heels. And when I look back on it now, I'm like, well, no, no shade on however that was conducted at the time. But I feel like there's also an art to figuring out what gets sorted out ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious if, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or interesting yeah, experience. Yeah, it's so interesting because I think there's definitely people who, you know, and I'm thinking tr- specifically back to this exercise with a lot of executives and they just kind of fixated on certain points and then they would kind of go down a rabbit hole with those pieces. And it's helping them to understand that, you know, as much as they should be open to it, it is just data. And so you have to figure out what you want to do with it and how you kind of use it to your advantage versus having, to your point, have it branded on your brain, right, for so long. Because it could have been taken out of context. It could have been in a little survey. You don't know the, the ins and outs of it. And so when I do 360s, I like to do interviews with people because it's just so much easier. You can ask clarifying questions, et cetera, still protecting their confidentiality and their, their data, but it yeah. just helps to kind of get clear on things to understand it so that when I'm presenting it to people, they, it's clear to them as well. Because I think I've definitely had people who were looking at the third bullet and what does this actually mean and how, when did this happen? You know, they get so fixated. So the clearer you can be going in to create a, a nice robust report, the better. And to avoid things that happen to you where you're still thinking about that, you know, <laughs> years later. I go. But it stinks. So when you do 360s, you are actually interviewing the saving employees or the colleagues. Mm-hmm. And yes, so yeah. being anonymous, you're making sure that there is clarity and there's a little bit of sorting, I'd imagine, on your part to things where you're like, all right, well, it's not wholly relevant, so I might not bring that to the table. But Exactly. Yeah. And if it's so personal and so such a specific thing, I'm probably not going to leave it out or might take some of the themes from it. But I'm also looking for consistent themes, too. I'm looking for people saying similar things. And if there's outliers, I don't know how valuable that is. It could have been one person's bad day, et cetera. So you're looking for, hmm, okay, this person really isn't speaking up in meetings, let's say, or this person really needs to kind of work more on delegation, whatever it happens to be. You're looking for patterns so that they can have something to act upon. All right. Well, um, one thing I always think is an important, but not always, um, I don't think it gets the attention that it deserves, which is the keys to the different managing up, managing across, managing down. And I'd imagine that comes up a lot in 360s. So I'm curious your thoughts. What are the keys to managing up first down? Yeah, it's interesting. I was just teaching a class yesterday that involved some communication styles and we were talking about managing to people's styles and, and preferences and meeting them where they are in any direction, up, down, sideways. But certainly that managing up can induce fear. It can feel like we're challenging our leaders, right? So it's, in reality, what we were talking about and what I often tell people is, how do we realize that we're working to support our leaders, we're working to support the business? So 
focusing on good skills like active listening and understanding the why behind actions that our bosses might be doing to be successful there. And so it's almost a shift of mindset to support the business and the leader and coming from a more positive place to offer feedback or to offer ideas. And again, it's going to depend on that boss too. I've definitely had people who can don't take that feedback very well right there. It's more of a threatening environment because they feel threatened about that you're telling them what to do, et cetera. It's about kind of shifting that mindset to say, I'm here to kind of help you be an even better manager. So here's what I'm thinking we could do for you, for the team, for the business. Um, and even saying things like that can actually help the message get across a little bit more too. But it's, it's, a, it's one of the most challenging things in terms of how do I do that? It's closely associated, I think, too, with executive presence and, and such a buzzword these days too. What does that even mean? And how am I carrying myself or how am I communicating confidently? which also helps in that managing up piece. Yeah, well, agree. Executive presence is uh, everywhere. How, as a concept, how do you describe and define executive presence? Yeah, it's it's interesting because I have a lot of folks who come to me with saying, I need this, or I've been told I need this. And we have kind of long conversations of what does that mean to you? And how are, how do you think you're showing up? So when I see it, it's it is a lot about you know, finding a voice in meetings and uh, having that professional presence with people, working with people at higher levels. So sometimes people are moving from a manager to director, director to VP. And some of those are big jumps for people to kind of think about, gosh, it's a different audience. How do I interact with them and and kind of speak a different language almost? So it's, it's a lot about kind of almost taking those basic skills of communication and connection and kind of putting them on steroids to kind of reach a different level, if you will. Oftentimes, I think. Yes. I can think of people I've managed as they were transitioning from manager to director to VP. And that being something that we talked on a bit, but I think that inroads to those conversations were often maybe a not that big a deal, but like little mistakes right. they made or moments they felt uncomfortable and they realized, God, I feel like my whole, I'm, you know, it was taking them a little bit for their nervous systems and perception mm-hmm. and to catch up with their, their new roles. And I, I think to a certain extent, executive mm-hmm. presence from my perspective is something that you need to be constantly, uh, you need to be cultivating your self-awareness and right. working on things, being very mindful of what could I have done better there, but also time on job makes it so much easier. I don't know if I've ever seen someone perfectly inhabit a new role after a couple weeks. So oh, do you think yeah. that there's a, are there cheat codes to jump from director to VP with total grace? Or do you think time on job is also like just a a necessary part of the transition. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think it's a necessary piece of it. It's I mean that would take a lot of grace to just kind of sail in there without without any um, issues. And I think it's great to have that mentor, that coach, that manager that's helping you understand yeah. what this move means. It's really helpful to have systems in place uh, like competency models that say, "Here's what you're now responsible for as a VP. Here's your sphere of influence, your scope of role, those things that shift." Because sometimes people, even moving from manager to, to director, some of the work is the same. So it's hard for me to figure out, okay, is my mindset supposed to be the same? 
that the audiences change and that kind of sphere of influence definitely shifts too. So it's so nice to have someone who's helping you along on that journey to kind of guide you a bit as well, I think. Yeah. And it takes time. Yeah. And someone to be like, I can see why you're a little embarrassed right now. Don't worry about it. Like you're going right, to make right. Happy. Yeah. Help some compassion. Um, mm-hmm. So just to pivot a little bit, I know you mentioned at the start, you started the Gillis Group during the pandemic. And yes. you've been working with, I'd imagine, remote and hybrid and maybe in-person clients since. And I'm really curious about what trends are you seeing and what do you think leaders and employees really need to focus on in this new world of uh, a grab bag of working uh, environments? Yeah, the grab bag is such a good term for this because I've done a couple of things in person and I actually have a few next week. So it's so interesting for me to suddenly get in my car and, you know, dress Uh, up more and all these different things again versus like the headshot. Um, But I think it's it's such a good question. And it's one I think that a lot of companies are still struggling to figure out. I think companies uh, really want to re-engage and they want to bring back their culture. But a lot of them have college grads who have never known the culture to miss, right? So they're really, it's really hard to get folks back in. Others feel that, gosh, it's, it's so much better working from home. I'm more productive and I'm frustrated by the commute, which yeah. they might see as wasted time now, which is, and rightly so, right? How much time do we used to spend in the car, in the, in the train, et cetera? So what I'm seeing, um, is I think that focus needs to be on some sort of balance. And so, most clients that I've seen have a combination of days in the office and days at home. So when you go in, you have that ability to collaborate and connect. And then you also can retain some of the benefits from working from home, whether it's throwing a load of laundry in or spending a little more time with your kids or whatever it happens to be. Um, the key is really making the office time worth it. I know yeah. some people in a smaller firm, they can actually have everyone go in like on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Great. But larger places... I have some clients that go in and they sit in a conference room all day because the rest of their team's on Zoom at home. And that is a, a waste of time. So I think companies are still figuring that out. It takes a lot of strategy and logistics management to kind of get this team by team uh, to work effectively. It's, it's, I think it's a struggle we're going to have for some time, for sure. Yeah. And I'm really interested for what you think about this. I feel like one thing that I've noticed, and I think it took me a while to get there, is that, and it, it seems obvious as I say it, but for some people who are in a remote environment, I think some people are a little organically more inclined to still be attuned to things like body language, facial expression, mm-hmm. moods of the folks that they're working with, even though it's on video. Mm-hmm. And then for others who maybe would be especially attuned to those things in person, it feels a little harder for them to tap into and feel connected in the same way that they would. And I don't necessarily have a solution for this, but I just feel like one thing I'd been noticing and thinking about was how it truly is different for each person, which means blanket policies are not, I mean, are not always going to be, um, they're not going to help everyone equally. And I don't really know a solution for that, except I guess I would say that if you don't, if you're struggling to feel connected to people in a remote environment that there are probably some things you could do to bring more like awareness in the moment to those remote meetings. But what, what trends are, what are you seeing on that front? 
Yeah, I think you're hitting on the self-awareness is so key. And not only of the people, but of their managers to say, Ellen, you know, I've noticed, you know, you don't usually have your camera on or, you know, whatever it happens to be, it looks like you're struggling to connect with people. Let's talk about it. How can I support you? So it's also about the managers being uber aware of how their people are doing in these environments and maybe kind of hooking them up with someone else who manages it well, potentially in terms of some tips and tricks. Uh, I just saw there was a book out there that's something around hybrid work and how to be successful just published in in June. And I immediately bought it because I'm like, I'm always looking for some more trends or like some answer, right? Some, some nugget. But I think it really has to be kind of people being self-aware, but if they're not and they're struggling, how are managers reaching in and trying to figure out going on with them? And it's super hard in these little boxes, right? But how do I have one-on-ones or kind of get on the phone with people and, and see how they're doing? Um, to be able to connect in a different way. I talked recently to another person I'm coaching and he's struggling with just trying to get the energy of the room going. And it was so much easier in person when he could do that and he could see everybody and see their body language, you know, like below the neck and how they're doing. And so it's really hard to kind of engage that way. And I think more and more people are coming out with some different tips and exercises to do. Uh, but so many of us are, you know, the, the ha- Zoom happy hour is an old idea, right? We, no one wants yeah. to do that stuff anymore. So how, what's the next phase of kind of connecting with people differently? Um, and maybe we turn to some of the folks that have been remote for their career or offices that have people that are in different pockets of the country or the world and what works for them too. So they've, regardless of COVID, they've been doing this all along. So they probably have some, some better ideas. Yeah. Thanks for that. It's tough. I'll, I'll give you some more nuggets if I, when I read that book. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd love to hear about it. And I think yep. it kind of uh, segued into my next question a little bit because, well, just before we jump into that, I would say that in some ways I feel like the way that different people react to remote meetings for me is a good, always a good reminder in that for some reason for me, I don't find it difficult. I feel as connected and attuned to the folks for the most part that are remote as I do in person. I think that's there. It's like a double-edged sword because I think I can actually be hyper-attuned to people in a way that ends up being kind of draining for me as a manager. Sure. But I think also it's a, it was, it's a good reminder more thematically that I think sometimes as managers, we take what is true for us and presume that that is true for everyone else. And we need to be reminded, yeah. remaining constantly curious about everyone else's uh, experiences and um, preferences and affinities. And so I think yeah. it kind of rolls into my next question, which is in my experience, I think to truly coach someone. For me, when I was in management and leadership roles, really required me to connect with them emotionally and sometimes to give a lot emotionally in the meetings, but also, you know, thinking about them outside of work, trying to really see and support them in real time. And it can be as much emotional as intellectual labor. And so I'm very curious about as a coach, what is that like for you? Is it emotional labor at times? If so, how do you make sure you're taking care of yourself and do you believe you need a real connection with someone to support and coach them? Yeah, those are really good questions. And to kind of just to quickly comment on your your first comment around 
um, being attuned to folks. And I think someone was saying recently, like, how do I know when to lead? And it's not like you put, you know, on your calendar from three to four, I'm going to do leadership today. It's something you have to do all the time. Right. So it's, it's definitely a mindset shift again to kind of be in tune with people. Um, but when I'm thinking about this emotional labor, there are, I have some clients and I teach classes on Zoom and nobody has their camera on. And it's, it's a little bit, it's a bummer because they, and they're probably on Zoom all day long. So they just kind of are taking this different, they're, they're paying attention, but it's different. So you miss that connection. Um, and so I think I put a lot in the relationships and there's a lot of emotion there. And it's super easy when you're coaching people to get caught up in their struggles or their challenges. And so for me, what I find, I need to lean more into empathy versus sympathy. And so empathy is more understanding, right? There's a separation there in terms of how people are doing. Because that sympathy, gosh, I could really get into a personal connection and swirl and really feel bad. And now I've lost the point of what we we're talking about. Right. So, because it is, it's so important for folks you're coaching to vent and to really share what's hard so they can get to a place where they can do that real work. And it's rewarding when they find something new or they are past something. So for me, taking care of myself as well, it's like, how do I prep for the call beforehand? How do I go for a walk or, or get some lunch or something after the call too? There's a lot. I think self-care is such a big thing. Again, another buzzword, but super That's important these days um, to really do that. And I also, to your second point, I do believe that that chemistry needs to exist there. I often tell folks it's it's almost like finding a therapist. Even though your therapist looks back and you as a coach look forward, you still need someone you can believe in, trust to help you with whatever your challenges are. So I've been interviewed by prospective coaches. Uh, I do some work with a coaching platform called Go Coach, and they have their clients interview three different people, which is great. So yeah. I usually say, Pick your best match. If it's me, great. If it's not, great. You're needed to gel with someone to believe they can really help you, for sure. Yes, that I that makes a lot of sense to me when I think about even folks that I was maybe managing, but also doing a bit of coaching slash mentorship with. I did yep. feel like it was very important that there was almost there has to be consent on both parties right into that yeah yep because if you're trying to in my experience if you're trying to mentor or coach someone that does not feel that connection or affinity for you or the way you do things it's going to be uncomfortable and fruitless for both parties and right i think that that makes a lot of sense and i also think it's you know it's a little different a coach versus manager but i also think that some managers feel a an obligation to be also mentoring and coaching everyone that reports into them. Right. And I think if I'm, I don't know, maybe you'll be like, nope, Meredith, that's bad management. But I would say that it's okay to be like, we just don't have the chemistry for that. And I'm going to be right. kind and I'm as good a manager as I can to them, but I'm going to slightly recuse myself from what feels to me like, um, I don't know, uh, knocking on a door that's not going to open to other types yeah. of relationships with that person. Yeah, I think I think certainly managers can be coaches. And I, I have I teach some workshops around manager as coach and giving them a different set of tools to kind of be curious with questions. But I totally agree where some managers are just too close to the people. There's performance issues. They may have assumptions about the person, the relationship that they can't see clearly to help someone. So sometimes yeah. those managers 
are better served coaching people outside of their sphere and their direct report lines. So they can take on some, you know, they can be that mentor or coach to others in the organization, which is, which is cool. Um, it's a hard, it's an interesting line uh, of coaching and managing your people because you can use some of those good coaching skills to be curious and help people understand where they are. But at the end of the day, they may still have to hold them accountable for things. So it's a, it's a dicey relationship sometimes. Yeah. And I think it's one that I would guess it, it's one that it's a complexity that pops up in leaner environments where maybe there yes. isn't the resources to be bringing in coaches or to have a super robust um, soft skills training yeah. training in the way that you'd want to. So yeah, the manager is like, okay, I am managing these folks, but I also, if I don't coach them and like start to bring them up and mature them and move them into different roles, no one's going to do it. So right. you know, it's already a lean environment. I think that can be an additional pressure on managers too is I am the manager here, but I'm also the coach. I am the mentor. I am the sole developer of them professionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, wearing all those hats is super challenging. And oh, by the way, I have a job to do too. So it's right. all of those things yeah. that, yeah, can make it super challenging for them. Yeah. So when organizations can do invest in coaching and they have the opportunity to do that, what would you say the tangible returns for them are and or the intangible yeah, it's interesting. It's, it sounds kind of a like a squishy thing, right, in terms of the soft skills that people need to work on or improve or change. It's not about metrics or money. But when, you know, if, if sometimes if organizations are hesitant to invest, I often talk to them about the cost of not doing anything to help people, right? That cost could be high turnover, uh, yeah. loss of faith in a manager, business, et cetera. So I go back to the 360 process in terms of I do that at the beginning of a relationship and then close to the end. And you can see trends in terms of how is it like to work with Ellen now? How are her communication skills? How is she participating differently in meetings? You can really ask specific questions to get at how the person's doing against their goals. And so the IR, I think the ROI for the most part is tangible. It just may not be as black and white as like dollars or resources. Um, but it can be real just the same in terms of you can literally see people shift their behavior and try different things to interact with people in a different way, which is which is pretty cool when it works too. Yeah, totally. I'd imagine like one, just a kind of broadening their own professional understanding of them, themselves and their teams, uh, retention, and also a better employee experience for the folks that work with and for them. I'd- yeah, for sure exponential well if someone was working with you or a a leadership coach in general what does the process look like for the employers and what is it like for the employees who you are coaching yeah so i typically you know again i most of my relationships are through people i've worked with in the past and when i am they're interested in coaching i'll typically meet with a prospective client again going back to our point of you've got to gel with someone to to work with them and then if it's go, I'll partner with the client, their manager, and oftentimes that person's manager or HR, that's the sponsor of the whole engagement. And so that's a good in-depth process to ensure there's a good alignment across everyone of what this coaching engagement will look like from goals that the client might have and the sponsor might have even uh, from manager meetings for 360 as well. And so coaching itself is, you know, there's a lot of great ethics around it from, uh, 
the International Coaching Federation, and there's a lot of confidentiality too. So a lot of that comes up, up front. Of, I'm not going to discuss what our meetings are about, but I might meet with the manager or the sponsor just to say, here's where we are in the overall plan. Um, it's typically a six-month engagement that I do, and I, t- I meet with folks probably biweekly. Um, and there's certainly an opportunity if people want to continue after the six months. Uh, but it's a lot about kind of just focusing on getting that 360 result, those re- 360 results back, setting some goals with them, and then working each time we meet on those goals. And sometimes, certainly, someone could come to me and say, oh, I know we were going to talk about this goal, but this meeting just happened, and I really want to talk about this. Great. Process through that, because ultimately, it's all towards making a kind of a stronger uh, employee, for sure. Um, but it's really, it's a lot of connection overall at a high level with manager, with sponsor, client to make sure we're kind of mapping the process for that six months. So HR or the management teams would be the ones to reach out to you to say, hey, yeah. with my typically certain number of individuals, I really want to work on XYZ. And then mm-hmm. you're meeting those employees regularly with those like milestones in mind, but having yes. confidential and very customized sessions with them. That- yep. Absolutely. And again, I've I've had, go ahead, sorry. No, no, you go ahead. No, I was just thinking there certainly are some times where I'll have leaders who say, even though we've agreed to confidentiality, you know, what about this? Or are they changing this? And what I do often do is say, I'll direct them back to the client and I'll direct the client to have conversations with them about their performance and about their improvements. It's just because I really don't want to break that confidentiality. So that's something that I continue to reinforce, I would say. Yeah, I could see that almost a temptation for on maybe the employer side for you to become like a middleman yeah. or a bit of a de facto feedback deliverer. Totally. Uh, yes. Yeah. Are there ever times where an organization has reached out to you and they're like, well, we really need some support for our teams and coaching, but you've actually thought, oh, you know what? That is actually not the solution to your problem right now. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think that's such a such an interesting thing. And again, it goes back to the definition of coaching and, and how to help people. So we talked about it being an investment in talent for sure. And when people aren't performing, it's probably more about feedback or even performance plans. And I've literally had at least one or two managers say to me, well, we were either going to have to fire Ellen or get her a coach. And I was like, well, thinking is probably not the best. Um, and so what that can result in is this person gets assigned a coach, literally, and they're a prisoner to the process. They don't even want to be there. So you want to work with someone who's open to change and exploration. And again, this is that investment in them. So I will, I at times, push back to say, are we sure this is the best you know, solution to this? Has, has that person received some feedback from you, from HR? Um, have you thought about performance plans for this person? Whatever it might be to kind of help them with behavior changes that are impeding their uh, future in terms of the company. And so it's really important to go back and help define coaching for them so that they're taking the best path for them and their employees. So when coaching is given as a gift in the spirit of wanting to invest in teams and improve them, beautiful. And when it's right. sometimes utilized as a tool, as like a last ditch effort to... Yep prevent someone from being fired it's it's that's actually maybe something that hr management needs to be dealing with these more brass tax performance issues before the person's ready for coaching is that right 
Yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm thinking back to when I first started my business. There's certainly a, a scarcity mindset to think about, oh my gosh, if I don't take this job, I'm going to have to shutter my business, right? So I, I've definitely worked with people and I can remember people on the other side of Zoom with their arms crossed, looking at me like, who's this going to help? Why do I have to meet with her? And I, yeah. you know, there's been some success there too, because it's a six-month engagement, really kind of hearing their pain points and then diving under the waterline to try to help them. Uh, but it's it, so that it can happen. It can be successful, but it's so much easier when someone's excited about it and an opportunity that of an investment. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, well, is there anything, Ellen, that you think I should have asked you that would be interesting or relevant to people who are maybe for the first time on this episode learning a bit about what management coaching is? Like anything that I didn't ask you think would be helpful for them to know? Yeah, you know, I think right now I'm I'm thinking about our current state of the state, right? We're hearing so much about the economy and recession and debt ceiling, more yeah. layoffs. You know, Microsoft yesterday, Alphabet, Google today. I see a lot of clients kind of pulling back and waiting on coaching or leadership development, saving their dollars. But the challenge here is that those needs remain. And what happens oftentimes is people get laid off. The people that are still there are challenged and, and are now taking on more. So it's yeah. actually so powerful to invest in folks. People now need to feel cared for more than ever before. That's what I'm seeing. And so there are certainly ways to be creative, to do group coaching instead of one person or to do bite-sized learning that can be easier to digest or afford for companies. Um, there's a huge cost of doing nothing. So as a new coach or as someone new doing this, it can be hard to kind of have those conversations with potential clients, but it's a lot about just kind of hearing them, hearing their pain points and seeing how you can serve them. I think for me coming into this, I was thinking the salesperson, I don't know how to do this. It feels slimy to me, right? But shifting that mindset to think, no, this is about serving people versus selling a, selling something to them. This is about partnering with them versus just working for them and, and taking tasks from them. So that helps me to kind of have robust conversations with people to just reconnect, hear how they're doing hear how they want to make changes, and then hopefully kind of help their people too. Yeah, it is. I, it is such a volatile time right now. And I uh, I think that coaching is, as you said, like such a gift to, to teams and to managers. And so I hope that wherever possible, businesses are able to heed that call and invest yeah. in it for their people. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Ellen. You're just like a font of wisdom and I don't think so appreciative of the chance to get to pick your brain about this. And I think that a lot of listeners will find this really to have been an interesting conversation too. So if someone wanted to reach out to you and get in touch, what are the best ways for them to, to kind of look you up? Yeah, for sure. You can look up the Gillis Group um, online. Um, I can also provide email if you want. It's just admin at gillisgroup.com. There's a dash between Gillis and Group. Um, certainly, I'm happy to kind of talk to anybody, whether they're looking for help in partnership or they're looking to kind of start coaching as well. I'm more than happy to help out. All right. Well, yeah, we can throw those in the show notes. And thank you so, so much, Owen. Thank you so much. Great conversation. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. We hope that you liked our combo with Ellen. Next week, we'll be speaking with Dina Smith, an executive coach and frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and more. 
If you like the show, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe in your podcast app. That really helps other folks find the show. Also consider subscribing to the Content People newsletter, link in the show notes. And that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to get in touch, you can always email us at contentpeople at brafton.com.